Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. It's not up to me to make judgments, right? Like, I don't get to decide someone else's fate or their quote-unquote punishment. Like, that's not up to me, you know? So whatever that person has going on, that's something that they have to deal with. But I don't have that anger in my heart towards them. And when I think about it, like, I don't feel an ounce of anger towards that. And that's such a bizarre thing. I never thought I would be at a point where I don't feel anger towards this person who, who hurt me so deeply. What I have today is, is compassion for wherever he is and whatever he's got going on in his life. And I leave it at that. It's something that I, I believe it's important to share because it spreads that hope that we can have forgiveness for each other. Like I think it helps connect us all a little bit deeper when we can have compassion and understanding instead of hate and misunderstanding. So it's just something that I just really feel compelled to bring up and to just mention and talk about. Hello, everybody. That was Chelsea Curley you just heard from, and she was just touching on forgiveness. And that is your guest for this episode. I should say our guest for this episode. She lives in Rochester, New York. She works in the recovery advocacy realm. She also works for a company that I have done a little work with, Recovery Fitness. I'm going to leave all their information below. You can check them out. They're an awesome program. Again, that's based in Rochester, New York. Head on over to room9podcast.com. Check us out there. Make sure you go to our Instagram page and look at the poster for this episode because I am now going to be doing a weekly poster for every podcast episode. I'm hoping. I don't know if I'm good enough yet, but we'll see if it works out. Other than that, you guys are the best. Again, if you have a t-shirt on order, I'm going to be sending out email about that very shortly. And other than that, I will be talking to you guys soon. Much love. Peace, later, and goodbye. Yeah, so thank you for uh, coming down and chatting with me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to, to do this. I have not, but usually I send out an email two days prior. I've had so many issues since the day I did a podcast with you and Kyle. I'm glad it's here. You're here. We're here. That's right. We'll make it work regardless. <laughs> That's right. Yes, we definitely will. Chelsea, what is your last name? Uh, Curly. It's K-E-H-R-L-I. Okay. Perfect. I figured I'd get there because I have Chelsea Rock Covery everywhere. I'm like, well, that's not her last name. So I mean, I don't know any of your stories. So this is all kind of fresh to me too. So this is kind of cool. Sometimes, a lot of times I kind of know what's coming and what's ahead. And I really don't know anything about you. So this is kind of exciting for me too, but just give me the load. I don't know. I don't even know where to start. This is kind of just winging it a free, really free form, even yeah. more free form than I usually am. But where, where'd everything start with you? Did it start at super young? Did it accumulate later on in life? You know, whatever you're comfortable with sharing and willing to share, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know what, I've totally just learned to kind of love the free form of things too. Cause I noticed for me when I really like pre-plan or, you know, try and work out in my head what I'm going to say, like, I don't, I don't do as well, or the, that anxiety kind of kicks in. So when it's kind of on the fly, I'm able to really just speak from my heart. 
Um, and I wasn't sure what we were going to be talking about either. So, you know what, it kind of works out. And so, you know, kind of going with, um, you know, where things kind of started for me, honestly, it was at a pretty young age. Um, you know, I was around 12 or 13 years old. Uh, I, I grew up in a small town just south of Rochester. You know, there really wasn't a lot to do. Um, and for me, it was, you know, kind of wanting to just fit in with the older kids. And that's what the older kids were kind of doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't believe for me that it started out of uh, wanting to ease things or numb the pain. You know, I, I really had what I would call a normal childhood. Um, I did not grow up in an alcoholic household. We had a, a lot of structure and um, a really a loving home. And, you know, certainly there were things that happened. You know, my parents divorced at a young age, but overall it was pretty normal. I was feel like I was a pretty happy kid. So for me, it was really just wanting to to fit in, you know, and I, and I didn't have a hard time doing that for me. But what I noticed is that, you know, I would just kind of just go with the flow without really thinking through things. You know, these kids over here were doing this and these kids over here were doing that. So I would just kind of follow right along without really making informed decisions. But, you know, <laughs> when you're a kid, you don't really. Uh, make yeah. I was going to say whoever does. And so, yeah, it just kind of kicked off from there. Um, you know, early on, I was really, you know, drinking and mostly, mostly smoking pot. You know, alcohol was a little bit of a challenge to get a hold of at that young age. But, you know, the older kids had pot. So we were smoking here and there. And I, for, for as many times of, as I have smoked, you know, throughout my 15 years of use, I've hated it. <laughs> it was just something that I just did not enjoy. I felt you know, that, that actually made me feel more out of control than alcohol. But despite any of those negative consequences, the way it made me feel like I just couldn't feel like I could function. It made me more anxious. You know, I just continued to do it because that's what everyone else was doing. You know, <laughs> I know that's so strange how we, we will do things that we don't even like doing. Exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. So for me, it really just progressed. Um, all the way out through high school, you know, we would kind of party whenever we could get our hands on it. And that really increased in frequency. Eventually it became, you know, an every weekend thing. It was bonfires, it was house parties. And, you know, I really did have a tight group of friends growing up. I really do have a lot of fun memories with this group of kids that I grew up with. And some of those memories were sober too. It wasn't all partying, Mm -hmm. but eventually it did move towards that. That became my focus. And it was interesting because, you know, I hear a lot of other people's stories. So it was kind of similar in the way of like on the outside, everything still looked good. Like I was a, I was a good student. You know, I was very passionate about art from a very young age, you know, so from the outside, I was able to maintain all of those things while on the inside struggling to, you know, want to just be a part of struggling with some feelings that I couldn't really verbalize, or I didn't really have the vocabulary at that age to describe. Mm-hmm. What I know now is me struggling with my sexuality at a young age, but I didn't know anything about it. No one talked about it. I just didn't know it was a thing, but I knew something was kind of off in that way. I just couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame. There's so many topics that it's insane that are not discussed with children. Yeah. Obviously a lot of it is because of the ideologies of a huge chunk of people who look at sexual orientation as a right or wrong moral failing and i guess that probably has we are moving out of that stage but it is crazy just i mean even drugs and mental health and i mean if you grow up in an environment where you don't talk about mental health or you don't talk about substance use or you don't talk about sexual orientation when you have that kind of feeling of something 
it's like you're scared to bring any of it up because it's like we've never even talked about this in my family. Kind of side note there is like we have to definitely be talking about things more with our kids. I agree. You know, we need to be normalizing these conversations and let people know that, hey, it's okay that you have this going on or, or that maybe you feel this way about yourself. You're so right because when we don't normalize it, it like becomes this taboo subject. Instead of connecting us more, it, it isolates us more. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So yeah. So anyway, back on track, you're kind of growing up struggling with, with that and many other things. And that, you know, it really just moved very quickly throughout, you know, that kind of high school career of, of really just partying and thinking I was having fun and, you know, just assuming that that's what all the kids were doing. So that's what I was doing. And that whole time I was not normal drinking by any means, but you know, none of my friends were either. We were, we were drinking to get drunk, you know, we were looking to get high, you know, (laughs) it was always, you know, it was just never, it was never casual like at that age, you know, and, and me being the tiny human that I am, I know I've never met you, but a very small human. And, you know, we know that alcohol, you know, works differently, you know, in men versus women and our different body types and metabolizes differently. And so it didn't take a lot for me. I was very much a blackout drinker. It usually happened pretty quickly. Were you, were you a crazy drunk? I feel like you would do crazy shit when you're, when you're drinking. (laughs) I was, it was so much nonsense. Like I, (laughs) You know, I hear people describe their drinking use of like, oh, you never know who you were going to get when when you put alcohol in me. And I was kind of the same way. You never knew if I was going to be crying or angry or just some. a lot of the times it was the center of attention doing who knows what, you know, just always putting <laughs> eyes on me in some way. So there were definitely some wild times, especially headed into college. It was just complete nonsense. Like I look back at some of that stuff now. I think about my nieces who are that age and I like look at them now and like I can't picture that type of behavior in a young kid like that. Like I just That's can't. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and at that age, some of it was just funny stuff. You know, it was always doing, I grew up with a, with a group of guy friends, all my best friends and hanging out with a bunch of young boys. You just do dumb things that young boys do. So I just follow right along with them. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> A lot of fun memories. It did serve a purpose in my life, but but when I look back, I think a lot of it was for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. A little bit sad to look back, but I, I do have some fond memories of those guys growing up. And you know, when I was uh, seventeen, you know, I won't go too much into it, but for for reasons unknown, um, my you know I had a very normal childhood with you know staying with both my mom and staying with my dad as well. Um, but when I was 17, for reasons unknown, my dad just kind of walked out of my life. Mine and my younger brothers, you know, he just decided he wasn't going to take care of us anymore. So that was kind of like that first big trauma that really happened in my life where, you know, at that time it was devastating. It was heartbreaking. I didn't understand. None of us really understood what happened, but he had just kind of went rogue and, you know, just kind of separated from everybody in his life, including his kids. So that was really difficult. And when I moved, you know, I left, I graduated high school, you know, and I went off to college. I went to, you know, Monroe Community College local and I, Mm -hmm. I moved from home. And that became for me, one of those reasons that became one of those reasons that was no longer fun to drink. It just became one of those things that I was using alcohol and other things to numb out from, to numb from that pain. So that's when kind of escapism really started to play a part in it. Yeah. It started, you know, those times I would drink, it wasn't about the fun anymore. Like maybe it would kind of start that way. But by the end of the night, I was a mess. You know, Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to numb out those feelings, suppress them all, shove them all down and drown them with alcohol. And I was, I was trying to escape. And what usually ended up happening is it would 
like a volcano. It would, I would just stuff it down when I was not drinking and it would just all explode when mm-hmm. I would drink. My drinking kind of took a turn at that point. You know, there was some anger and rage that really started to come out that hadn't been there in younger years. And, you know, when I was in college, like it was, college was just off to the races. You know, I was away from home. I was away from structure. I did very poorly my first semester at college, which was a big turn for me because I would always did so well in school. And I was just out of control. You know, I was partying whenever, however I could, didn't care what I, didn't care any of the situations I got myself into. What were you taking in school? So I actually uh, was studying graphic design. Um, Did you? Oh, sweet. I loved it. Um, MCC had a great program for that. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I truly believe in each and every one of us, there are these little lights that shine out and those come off in the forms of things that we're talented in or or hobbies or things that we truly love and have a passion for. We all have them. And art was one of those things for me from a young age. But as we realized for those of us who struggled with addiction, like the more we just continue to fuel our addictions, that light just starts to get dimmer and dimmer. Mm -hmm to lose those things I cared about, including art, but it would, it would shine through it at times. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I remember Eric, for those of you who are just listening, which is everybody except you and I, I'm doing air quotes. I'm a musician, <laughs> but I've, I mean, I've always loved playing guitar, writing songs, just acoustic, whatever here and there. It's not something I always like did very every day for hours and hours, but it was something I always loved doing and still mm-hmm. do. And I always kind of had that sense of I mean, I remember in jail, then in rehab, thinking, how am I ever going to write music again? And it was funny when I got to a rehab where I was allowed to have a guitar, like I've wrote the most beautiful songs I've ever written completely sober. And so it's funny how you have that kind of that idea of, oh, I have to get high in order to be creative or inspired. And it's just absolutely not true. And I found that actually to kind of be in the complete opposite end in the spectrum of the spectrum because I feel like sometimes it becomes such a healthier thing when you are hurting and then you can artistically find a way to express that sober. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how how you've gotten through it, like what your thoughts are on it, but I always thought I needed that at least, you know, oh, I need to smoke some pot so I can be creative, you know, so I can connect with that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a misconception for so many people, you know, especially with certain narcotics that are, you know, kind of hallucinogens or psychedelics in a way like, oh, I'm tapping into a different part of my brain, which is true. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's so, I feel like that's such a common thing among artists and musicians. Like Mm -hmm. I need to be under the influence of something so my creativity can shine. And I've just found for myself really as of lately, as I'm finally starting to get back into my art, you know, that I do so much better um, when I'm fully present and not under the influence of anything, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm able to just be really fully present and, and in the moment is where, you know, when I was under the influence of alcohol and drugs, like I, it's, a, you can't be fully present. You're under the influence of something, you know, even, yeah. even people want to say, well, it's just pot. Well, you're still under the influence of something, you know, and I, I create way better today than I, than I ever did then. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because like I, you know, for a lot of people, they're just kind of, you know, we, we think we can use alcohol and drugs to tap into these different emotions, um, which may be true for some people. It just wasn't, it just wasn't true for me. Like I was just so far under the influence that I couldn't even function. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? I mean, even for people who maybe, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, when it comes to doing anything in excess, it's always going to interfere with something. It's going to start blocking something whether it's energy, whether it's thought, your thought process, processes, maybe that's, I think that's what you, how you have to say it. It means going to, whether it's, you know, drinking 
energy drinks too much. It's something I've had, my sugar and energy drinks. You see those other addictions still, those other coping mechanisms in your life and caffeine and sugar. I mean, those are huge ones for me that I have to constantly be aware of. Like, I, I cannot have any damn sh- candy or sugar until at least after like three o'clock in the afternoon, like, come on. And you right. just, you know, you find all those things, but too much of anything becomes an issue and it starts showing in other aspects of your life. It starts interfering with it. So whether or not, if you're smoking, whatever it is every day to be creative, it's going to eventually block your creativity and do the exact opposite of what you want it to do. Right. And I love that you actually kind of tapped into that really briefly. You said something like, you know, it kind of bro- blocks you off from your, when you're under the influence of anything, it kind of blocks you off from your from your true energy or your spirituality rather if you mm-hmm. choose to even I feel the same thing you know I, I never had like a lot of people describe it like I, I was sick I had a spiritual malady right and I just had this hole in my soul that I was trying to fill with alcohol and drugs but when I'm you know when I'm not tapping into that true source of power within myself like I'm not allowing myself to be truly creative it's kind of like this falsified is that mm-hmm. a word yeah, <laughs> it works kind of, it works for now (laughs) (laughs) kind of like this you know false way of creating creativity in a Mm -hmm. way yeah we're using substances to do it but yeah it's interesting that you said that for sure and for me like the more i continue to pour alcohol in that hole and put drugs in that hole and put relationships in that hole like i just started to lose any of that creativity i started to lose any of that awareness i started to lose my grip on reality of what was real and what was imagined and it's mm-hmm. it's just a spiral heck of a cycle. Yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. You're in design. I guess I wore the right hat for it today. Yes, I did see that. I love that. <laughs> God is a designer. I love that hat. <laughs> I always I always uh, used to wish I could draw. My whole life, I remember I have a um three cousins actually all three of them are good at drawing, but my one cousin is really good at drawing. I just always remember growing up, man, I wish I could draw. And yeah. now that I've like went headfirst into like Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign. It's like, oh my gosh, I can now. I get to. And, you know, I get to learn how to do some awesome things that I could never do with just pencil and paper. Yeah. So it's been it's been awesome for me um, to really dive into that. I've, yeah. I've seen some of your your Photoshop works and that's pretty amazing. It makes me miss doing all that stuff. So you you definitely have a, a creativity and it's interesting when people think of creative, I think people's first response is, oh, I can't draw or I can't paint or, you know, but Brene Brown actually talks about it. I just recently finished reading The Gifts of Imperfection. And so she's talking in one of the chapters about intentionally creating or cultivating creativity. Um, and she says creativity is actually something each and every human has. So it's very quick for people to be like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not crafty. I'm not artistic. And that may be true, but that doesn't mean we don't have creativity, you know? Mm-hmm. So we all have creativity in different ways. Sometimes it comes off in music or, or cooking or, you know, it's like so many different ways of just being creative. Yeah. As far as like problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, we just have to like make the time to intentionally sit down and allow myself to to do something creative for 20 minutes, half an hour, if I can make the time for it. And and we will continue to create more of that if we give it the time and energy. Yeah, I need that. And I'm so thankful I've, I've been at least attempting to build a business that allows me to be very creative every day. Absolutely. You know, sometimes to the point where I have to get deliberate, like, all right, I got to do this, 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 you know, because you can spend too much time being creative and not actually kind of producing stuff. So, <laughs> Alan. 
<laughs> that's it. The B word, the good old B yep. word from talking with you here the last what 25 minutes thus far is, is recovery to you. Is that complete abstinence from any kind of drugs and alcohol? Um, for me today, yes, it is the way things got for me towards the end. Alcohol led me to using other substances, you know, and I think very much in our active addictions, we always have those lines we draw on the sand, like, oh, I don't care if I do this, but I'll never do this thing. You know, yeah. I'll never use hard drugs. I'll never do cocaine. I'll never do heroin. I'll never do this. You know, how quickly for people who do have alcoholism and, and the, that disease of addiction, how quickly we continue to progress and cross over those lines. And I did that, you know, cocaine was a part of my story towards the end. And, you know, for me, it, it began with alcohol and pot. And that just let, that was that gateway for me to open up to using other substances, you know, nicotine relationships, really anything that made me feel mm-hmm. good that distracted me from feeling with being true and just sitting with myself. So for me today, Yes, complete abstinence from any alcohol or drugs. And I know people like to get very technical. What about sugar? What about caffeine? Like <laughs> nicotine, all that. You know, when yeah, I, I know first- I know what you mean, Chelsea. Yes. <laughs> right. You know, when I first got sober, I was still smoking cigarettes. And that was nicotine was one of the hardest things to quit for me. It was, you know, it was just that vice that I still needed. I couldn't quit all of it at once or I was gonna lose oh, my yeah. no, I've been saying I mean I mean I don't I do the vape now. Yep, it's still right. there. I've already right. confessed my caffeine and sugar addiction to you. So Exactly. <laughs> right there with the caffeine and you know, I'm, I do okay with the sugar, but not great. I, for, for years I've done cake decorating and pastry. So it's kind of, it was very hard to stay away from the sugar. Oh man. I imagine yeah, it was tough, but you know, I, I have my coffee today and, you know, periodically maybe an energy drink here or there. But for me, I completely abstain from any alcohol or narcotics. I just, I can't for me, for me, I can't moderate for me. There is no harm reduction in that way. And I know that that works for other people. But for me, I just, I know that I can't because as soon as I, you know, as soon as I open that door of trying to moderate or having just one drink, like I know for me where that's going to go, you know, because, because I have alcoholism and for me, like, I don't, I don't want just one. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand the point of that. You know, that's how my brain works. So today I just, I, I stay away from, you know, any, any mood altering substances in that way. I have to for me. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I guess it's just recently that people even start asking that question. Feel like it's always been either you're completely abstinent or you're not in recovery. And I mean, I think that's such a harmful way to approach things as well. But were you also in? Did you do AANA? Did was that something that also was part of your story? Um, I did. I you know I I feel. It is something I talk about, you know, if asked, I feel comfortable breaking my own anonymity. Um, For me, I did AA, but it took a while for me to get there. You know, what ended up happening towards the end was my my mental health was just really out of control. Um, I wasn't I wasn't really able to function like that depression and that anxiety were just too much. And I ended up going to seek out help for that, not my drinking, because I had no clue that that was the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up an outpatient because of that. There, an outpatient, you know, different community resources came in and did presentations every week, which is actually how I first heard of recovery. And the groups we were in, they encouraged us to, you know, check out different 12 step meetings, you know, check out recovery, check out, you know, recovery Dharma, or, you know, we were just encouraged to check out different community resources. And here in Rochester, um, there is a, a big buzzing recovery community. It's there is. Cool. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, I, th- I mean, even more so than Buffalo, I do love, I'm connected with a lot of people in Rochester. Yeah. A handful from friends recovery. There's 
I know you probably you have to know Keith and Lori because I think you're yeah, yeah you're in you know your recovery coach correct or what's the correct term for that yeah uh so, so my title specifically is outreach and engagement specialist but yeah peer okay. peer advocate recovery coach um, we all kind of fall under that realm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm So I'm really close with so many people in Rochester. It's pretty awesome. I mean, I met, um, geez, I'm Yana from, yeah. you know, through another company that I was doing some work for. And, you know, that's how I got connected with you guys at Rock Covery as well. But pretty cool to see the chain of events because I wasn't even originally going to be on that video where Rock Covery was interviewing you. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I ended up on there and then you and I got to meet and fast forward. Here we are. Here we are <laughs> doing a podcast. Yeah. But yeah, so so 12 step was definitely something that I checked out early on. And, um, you know, it did take me a little bit to get there. It's my foundation today. It's something I still use, um, but it's not my only pathway to recovery. You know, I, I tell people, I'm like, you know, if you want to use multiple pathways to recovery, and if you can add as many supports and different ways to recovery to your, to your arsenal, you know, mm-hmm. to your line there, the more, the better, you know, because that's just going to help guard you a little bit more against, you know, your disease. And, and so, yeah, so I, so I use that today, almost every day. I've actually been way more into it now, you know, since the pandemic and I've been home a lot more. So I've really been able to refocus and reground myself and get back to basics for me. That includes, you know, meetings daily. But like I said, I use, I use other things, you know, I check out different meetings. Um, you know, I, I love nature. I, I love fitness, just building those connections in any way that I can is something that has really just helped me so much, but it's AA is most certainly uh, my foundation and, you know, it's not for everybody, but it, it works for thousands and, and millions of people, you know? So it's, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing journey, lots of learning and growth happening as of recently. And, you know, I know there will always be more learning and growing to come. So. Yeah. That, that I've realized that that's what makes life exciting is how much more learning there is to do. <laughs> I, you know, I, I often think about that a lot. Like it would suck. I mean, if you had nothing else to learn, if you had it all figured out, yeah. you, you would be bored out of your mind. Absolutely. You know, I, I feel that exact same way. I don't, I don't believe that any of us humans, not just us in recovery, but I don't believe that any human ever gets to a point in their life where you can sit back, brush your hands off and say, there, I'm done. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> There's no more room left to grow. Nothing else to learn. I'm, I'm done. I might as well check out now. Right. Yeah. I quit now. I'm done. I beat the game of life, you know, and, and we just don't, you know, we continue to learn and grow, I believe until the day that we leave here. And when we can, when we can tap into that mindset of really being in a place of letting go of, I've got it all figured out to what else can I learn today? Or what am I meant to learn from this? Or, or I really want to keep learning. You know, I've noticed that when I shift my own mindset to a learning mindset, like, life just gets so much more exciting. I am only an expert in my own life and my own past and in my own recovery. But even then there are just so many things that I have yet to learn. And it's really just exciting when we finally start to tap into that. You know, I, I had to, I had to let go of that stubbornness and that hard headed mentality. And I don't need advice from you. Like I got it figured <laughs> out. Like I, I had to let go of that big part of my ego. And I still struggle with that a little bit today, but you know, it's gotten much easier. And when I have let that go, like I tell you what, like my own little world has just opened up so much more than I could have ever imagined. You know, there are just people that pop into my life all the time or, or things that I hear in meetings or even just, you know, out in the world that I, it just hits you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, wow, I was meant to, I was meant to hear that. I was meant to learn that thing or even, or even people coming into our lives for a certain reason. Like I believe that everybody 
every person that has come across my path and all of ours, you know, that, but that person was, was meant to be here for a certain amount of time to teach me something. And, and then you move on from it. Yeah. I always say that we're all kind of on our own path, our own journey. You know, we cross each other's paths all the time and our job is to help each other along the way and help each other learn and grow. And so I always love that because, you know, it's so individualized. It's so kind of different. We all learn differently. We all grow differently you know, whatever it is, there's always just different ways. We're all, I mean, recovery is a great example. There's so many different ways of recovery that have helped people and that have worked for people. So we're all on our own journey. It's all kind of individualized for us, but yet we can kind of help each other along the way. So I always love that kind of vision of just crossing each other's paths and helping each other out. I think that's a a huge piece of it. And I think you really hit it on head, always being willing to to learn and grow and learn from your mistakes. And I think once you can become comfortable with that, that flexibility, that change that, okay, this could get screwed up and blow up in my face at any moment. But if I pay attention and I'm aware and I focus, this could be an amazing moment and this could change my life. This could be the defining moment perhaps, but it takes energy to do that. You have to be aware. I mean, it takes energy to be aware. It takes, like you said, you feel like you got to let go of some of your ego because you have to humble yourself. And yeah. that almost like you feel like a piece of you is literally dying sometimes. It is so difficult. But yeah. when you can kind of get into that mindset, I think that's when you find success in anything. When you're just okay with not being successful, I think that's when you find success. And most people I have come across in recovery that have found success in recovery have changed something deep inside of them. It hasn't just been this stop using thing because I've met so many people who have been in the cycle and I believe you can change and have the switch flip anytime. But I've met so many people in the cycle that still lie, still manipulate, aren't working on any part of their individuality that has to do with anything other than just using. And then they wonder why they keep they're stuck in this. And that's not the case for everybody who's stuck in a cycle. But I've seen so many and met so many. When you are willing to be aware of the things you need to change in yourself, I mean, you can you can do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like what you're really touching on is uh, something that I'm learning a lot about lately is, is emotional sobriety, right? Like I can put the plug in the jug. I can, yeah, I can that's put, awesome. I put the drug down and that's, while that's great, that's where I need to start. Right. Cause I can't start working on any of that stuff while I'm still under the influence or mm-hmm. for people who have gotten so physically and chemically dependent on their substance that it's making your body sick and ill, you know, we need to get the right proper medical treatment first. You know, we, we have to, we have to get ourselves right and sober first, you know, that physical sobriety, but there is so much more that's underneath that I've, I've come to realize, you know, because when I, when I put the drink and the drug down, what's left, like I've still got Chelsea following me around everywhere <laughs> and I'm pretty exhausting sometimes, you know, like it's all that, it's all that untreated alcoholism. It's all those, it's all those old behaviors um, that get me into trouble, you know, because I used alcohol and drugs to numb out the pain, you know, that, that alcohol was, but a symptom of my disease. You know, the real thing is the thinking disease. It's, it's what's underneath all of that. It's all of my old behaviors. It's the way I move through the world thinking that everybody owes me something or that it's everybody else's fault, or I'm dependent on everybody and I'm stepping on everybody else's toes, not realizing it. Like I moved through the world like a tornado in that way in my relationships with people. So just because I put down the drink and the drug doesn't mean all those behaviors have been treated. So I I love that you were referring to that. Like it's, we get sober first and then we get to work on that emotional sobriety. And it's just something I've really honed in on lately that I didn't even understand was a thing. But now that I'm reading more about it and listening to other podcasts about it, I'm 
asking other people about that, like, hey, what does this mean to you? How did you get that? You know, that's just continuing to grow my own knowledge of like, well, how how do I continue to get better? That that alcohol and the drug was just such a very putting that stuff down was just a very it was a, it was but a beginning. It was a very small part of what recovery means to me today. And so so when I'm able to treat all of those other behaviors, like I, you know, my days go a little bit smoother. You know, I. I don't bristle as much with other people. I don't, you know, there's not as much conflict. Things just go much smoother. Those are things I have to be aware of. And while I was in active addiction, I was never aware of any of that. I was never aware of any of those behaviors. It was always everybody else's stuff. Mm. Realizing that I had a part to play in it too. And a lot of that came from trauma, you know, at a young age from having my dad walk out of my life, you know, because that affected every adult relationship I, I had ever had when I had gotten older. I always had that in the back of my mind that someone was going to leave. To so abandon I you, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I let that define me for a very long time. But today I, I have freedom from that. You know, I have things in my life today that I know are concrete and that I don't have to worry about, you know, that abandonment anymore. I'm more trusting today. It's it's a much gentler, softer way for me when it, when I let go and let go of those old mindsets, those old behaviors. Um, and again, for me, that's really just treating that emotional sobriety. There's like this whole new level of awareness of what emotional sobriety is. <laughs> it's really yeah. interesting to me today. <laughs> yeah, well, it's crazy because everybody, to use that term, emotional sobriety, everybody in the world has to work on that. Just not everybody escapes working on their emotional sobriety by using drugs. People use other things. And there's many, many other people out there in the world who aren't maybe using a substance to escape doing that, but they are not facing that. They might be binge watching Netflix every chance they get or right. buying clothes online or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. So many people doing things for the wrong reasons and to not face, okay, I need to work on this in myself. I need to work on that in myself. Yeah. And I mean, that comes with the territory of being alive and being a human being. <laughs> and so many of us in this world don't want to do that and don't want to even have that awareness. So right. it's definitely not an easy thing to do. For sure. And, you know, I love that you talk about that because I'm going to bring her up again, but Brene Brown talks a lot about <laughs> that. I'm just, she's one of my new uh, ones. That she's really great. She's awesome. Yeah. She's wonderful. But she talks about that, you know, because she's also a person in recovery herself. Um, but she describes it in a way of like, as humans in general, like, we don't like being vulnerable. You know, we have a hard time feeling our feelings, talking about our feelings, even sitting with our feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that we are, you know, a product of our own culture and our own society of our modern world that we live in. All humans, you know, we all choose to numb out from something. We all choose to use something that takes the edge off, right? And so whether it's, you know, any of those things that you mentioned, or even just sitting on my phone on losing myself on TikTok or Instagram for an hour, like I'm numbing out. Like when we put it in that way, like all of us, you know, we, we all have those tendencies to just not want to feel. So whether it's, you know, drugs and alcohol or whatever else, I truly believe that we are all in recovery from something. And I just wanted to share this real quick. I love the definition of recovery that um, SAMHSA has put out and they describe recovery as a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. You know, nothing in there says anything about drugs or alcohol. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, so when we think about it in that way, like I've come to realize um, a lot of this is 
through trainings that we've been doing and really just getting to know more people and understand that we are all in recovery from something, each and every one of us, because who doesn't want to live a self-directed life and find health and wellness and purpose, right? Like we all, all of us humans want that, you know, it's wired within us. We want, we want connection. We want to be somebody or we want to, we want to do something with our lives, you know? And I think that we just get a little lost along the way sometimes. I know I did towards the end, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of external consequences. Mine were all very internal and Mm. I, I completely lost who I was. I had no idea. I couldn't tell you, you know, when I was not in a relationship and when I was left with just drinking and drugs, like when a relationship would end, like I couldn't tell you anything about myself, what I wanted, what my hobbies were, what my dreams and my goals were. Like I had lost all of that. And I was just at a point where I didn't want to live life anymore. And it wasn't that I wanted to end my life. Like I certainly struggled with those thoughts at a point in my life when my depression was at its worst, but it was more so about like, I don't want this life that I'm living because I wasn't really living, you know, I was mm-hmm. just surviving. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when I, when I think back to that, you know, like I just, I just, I was just lost. I was just numb. There was, I was, you know, some people describe it as like, I'm a shell of a person and I can relate to that, you know? And one of my favorite things about recovery is, you know, a lot of people get sober and they were very quick to be like, all right, I got to get the job back. I got to fix all my relationships. I got to get back to who I was, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. back to who I was. And I, and I don't want to get back to who I was. There are pieces of me that I love you know, that are at my core. But today, what I want is I want to be able to create myself. You know, I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forward. And that's one of the biggest gifts that recovery has given me. I get to create who I am today. I get to find, you know, yeah, certainly some of those hobbies that I lost that I had from when I was younger, but I get to find new things today. I love it. Absolutely love it. Because it's so true. I I said the same thing to myself in rehab, because I remember being like, I can't wait to get this done with. And get back to my old life. And I was like, wait, I don't want to go back to that thing. Even before my addiction, I don't want to go back to that person. He didn't love himself. He didn't have confidence in himself. He didn't allow himself to fail. He didn't cut himself any slack. You know, he didn't give himself permission to be sad or to be hurt and not or nothing. Like I don't want ever want to go back to that person. Right. So I mean that's I love that you brought that up because that's awesome. I mean, who the heck wants to go back to that when you can keep going forward? Right. And I believe that's that's what it's about. Like, you know, time is one of the most valuable things in life. We don't, it's the one thing in this life we don't ever get more of. Mm -hmm. Right. So today when I think about that, like same thing, like I don't want to go back to who I was. Like, I don't even know who I was. I don't even recognize that person. I don't recognize the behaviors, all the craziness, all the drama, everything that went along with that lifestyle that I got stuck in. I don't want that. It's really exhausting. <laughs> yeah, steal, <laughs> so. Stealing from a 12 year old and steal- <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and today there is just such right now where I'm at, there is just such a sense of peace and that's not always you know, of course not. None of us can have peace 24-7, something we have to work at. But there is much more peace in my life today. And I don't know, I guess I just don't have a lot of negative emotions. And that's not to say, I don't ever want people to think like, oh, like, you know, you live in this enlightened state where everything's perfect all the time. Like my therapist and I were talking, she asked if I had heard the term toxic positivity the other day. And I was like, what the heck is that? No. So we talked about it. A little toxic positivity. I can't stand right. that. Nothing makes me more sick than that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, so it's not to say in the sense that, right, like I'm positive 24 yeah. seven, but when things happen, when life happens on life terms, when life throws a curveball at us, when there's a giant pandemic that I never had any planning for, I am much able to better move through those situations. And it's not to say that I don't have negative emotions about those things. Like, sure, it's really hard some days. Absolutely. But it is nowhere near as difficult as it was three, four, five, six, seven, eight years ago. 10 years ago, I'm able to, I have tools today and I have skills today to be able to move through those difficult situations without making them worse. And even, you know, one thing that I always think is important to share when I share the bit of my story about, you know, my dad not being in my life today, because a lot of people, you know, we're very easy to hold on to grudges or anger or resentment. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a really long time. And that just kind of kept this, this anger and this soul sickness inside of me. And so today he's still not in my life. I, I don't have contact with him, but today what has happened over really the past couple of years of my sobriety and working through the steps and working through therapy, getting that outside help. Like I have forgiveness today. When people hear that people are very quick to be like, well, how can you forgive someone who did something so horrible? And what I tell people is like, it's not about forgiving their behavior or justifying their behavior. When I say I have forgiveness for somebody, it's me letting go of the anger and the hate and the hurt that I have in my heart towards this person. I'm not excusing their behavior, you know, but that's, it's not up to me to make judgments, right? Like I don't get to decide someone else's fate or their quote unquote punishment. Like that's not up to me, you know? So whatever that person has going on, that's something that they have to deal with. But I don't have that anger in my heart towards them. And when I think about it, like I don't feel an ounce of anger towards that. And that's such a bizarre thing. I never thought I would be at a point where I don't feel anger towards this person who who hurt me so deeply. What I have today is, is compassion for wherever he is and whatever he's got going on in his life. And I leave it at that. It's something that I, I believe it's important to share because it spreads that hope that we can have forgiveness for each other. Like I think it helps connect us all a little bit deeper when we can have compassion and understanding instead of hate and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that I just really feel compelled to bring up and to just mention and talk about. Yeah. Oh, I get you said so much there. I love it. I mean, forgiveness is, it's something I've always naturally had, I feel like I've always been able to do except for after my divorce. I think it took me a long time to be able to, yeah, you know, forgive. Not that I didn't have any wrongs and that I didn't need to ask for her forgiveness for things, but it took me a long time to be able to forgive my ex for that, for a lot of stuff. Even though I'm the one who chose to be divorced, but that's a long story and another podcast for another time. But, <laughs> you know, it, it is. It, and it's such a, that stupid, what is that stupid cliche saying? I'm sure you know it. The, you know, n- not forgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah, but it's so true. You know, it's so annoying to hear that. But you forgiving somebody is like, you, why are you, or not forgiving somebody is like, why are you letting them have so much control over you and your emotions and how you feel and how you think and like it just affects every aspect of your life. Right. So it's so important to learn how to do that. Yeah. Can I ask you like how you kind of were able, like, I know it took a long time, but how, what ways were you able to find forgiveness? Like what helped you find that forgiveness for that person? Oh man, that's a great question. I don't know if I ever really thought deeply about that. That is an awesome guy. You don't usually get stumped Chelsea. And this was a good question. <laughs> Um, what did kind of lead up to that? I would say, I mean, obviously this was all kind of as I had a lot of time alone from jail to 
a 50-day rehab stay to a four-month rehab stay and then to an Oxford house. So, I mean, that's kind of when I I feel like I've finally healed from it. Uh, I think it was just really, um, you know, I relate everything back to this. And it was when I was able to finally develop love for myself, acceptance for myself, that I could accept the mistakes that I made in the relationship just as much now as I can accept hers. And I mean, once you once you develop that that love and that confidence in yourself or even develop the confidence in yourself to fail. Like, it's okay if I fail because I'm going to learn so much from this. When you can develop that attitude, you nobody can stop you from doing whatever you want as far as like in your life. I mean, really, you can't because you will learn and you will grow so quickly. But everything else becomes easier when you allow yourself that because you allow other people that as well. Wow. That's just so powerful. And thank you for sharing that with me, you know, because I think there is such a truth to that, you know, learning to love ourselves, because here's another one of those cliche sayings, but something along the lines of we allow ourselves to receive the love that we think we deserve. Mm -hmm. Well, if I don't have any love for myself, that's going to be apparent in every relationship in my life. And I don't mean just romantic relationship. I mean, every relationship Mm -hmm. that that a human being, right? I'm going to continue to allow the toxicity in my life to happen over and over because I think that's what I deserve because I don't love myself. And so that's amazing when you get to that point of finally learning a little bit of self-love and self-compassion and realizing what we do deserve, then I can start having forgiveness, right? Because when I'm when I'm mad or I'm resentful or angry at somebody, like at the end of the day, that's hurting me. You know, that person's probably not even thinking about it anymore. Like I am hurting me. I anger in my heart, right? And if I have self-love, then why am I going to continue to hurt myself that way by by giving myself that anger when I lay my head down on my pillow at night? Like, oh, why am I so mad? You yeah, know, like Steve, Steve's over there sleeping like a baby and you're up right. anxious <laughs> and angry all night. <laughs> right. Human. And I, you know, I lived my life that way for a long time. I was, I was mad at people. I was mad for my dad for leaving. And then I was mad at every relationship that didn't work out. Like I was angry. And then when I poured alcohol on top of it, I was rageful. Like these like raging blackouts that, man, it's like terrifying to look back at that person, you know? And I'm just so grateful that I don't have to live my life that way today. Like I can have genuine self-love and it's, it's not something that comes easy to humans in general. Like it's just really no, not. No, it's not. Well, you know, I'm trying to think of the quote. We walk around seeing everybody's, you know, highlight reel while we see all our backstage crap. And it's like, yep. <sighs> Yeah, that, that's a huge one. We know all our, our dirty little secrets, all our our darkness, all the crappy things we've done, all the shitty things we've done. And mm-hmm. if you don't have any you know, self-love with that, you're screwed. And right. I, I'm speaking from personal experience. My whole, since my mid-20s, even before my addiction started, my mid-20s when I dove headfirst into just working on myself. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have any self-love, which I did not for myself then, that pile of crap that you have to work on just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's no kind of, Hey, it's all right. Cut yourself some slack. You did this, this, and that. It's like, Oh my gosh. And you're looking up at all these things you need to work on in yourself. And you're just like, I remember I was thinking, I was like, you're a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even work on patience. You've been trying to work on patience for four months and you've added like 500 things to the list of things you suck at and need to work on. (laughs) Right. It just adds up. And it's so, it's just so hard to do anything. I don't believe they always say you can't love other people if you don't love yourself. I don't really necessarily agree with that. Um, I've seen people who don't love themselves help and love and take care of so many people. I think what I always think of is if you want to change lives, 
you have to love yourself. If you want to change many lives and conquer what you want to conquer, your goals and achieve them, if you don't have any of that, those self-attributes, it's not going to work. Yeah. And I, same thing, you know, I've come to kind of challenge that statement as well. And I would agree with that now that, you know, I've met so many people that are just so broken and just have so much hate for themselves, yet they're still able to just love everybody, everybody else. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> They'll do anything for anybody. Even And, and that becomes unhealthy because part right. of what I've learned is to say no when my time is overspent. You know, or right. my energy is done because I want to do everything for free. If I could, if I won right. the lottery, I would love to continue this business and work with people and not try to try to make money and just be able to do it for, I really do. I wish I could. That would be amazing, but I need to pay bills and I need to eat and you know, right. my, my time can only go so far. And I mean, you learn how to do that when you learn how to love yourself as well. People who don't love themselves and struggle with that don't ever say no. You know, they have no idea how to say no to somebody. And then you right. then you get resentful and then you just end up blaming yourself because that's what it always comes back to. It's like, ugh, spent too many years, 30 something years in that life. No, thank you. Right. You know, we've, I, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm very much with something I've struggled with and something I'm working on is being able to say no, set boundaries and not just mm -hmm. set the boundaries, but hold firm to those boundaries. Yep. You know, I can set a boundary all day long, but whether I'm going to enforce it or hold firm to it, it's another one. And it's, it's something that I've struggled immensely with over the years and even a little bit today, but you know, I love that. Like I, not necessarily the work that I do at recovery, but you know, even for things that I do on my own, like periodically I'll still make cakes or pastries or cookies for people. And I always just want to, you know what I mean? I always like downplay that or, you yeah. know, I, like, oh, I just rather give it to them for free or very cheap when I'm not charging enough for the work. Cause I, I actually spend hours and I actually spend days you know, so there is that same thing, fine line of, of really, you know, coming down and like really giving myself a stronger sense of self-worth. Right. Cause I, cause I put in time, I put in effort, I put my heart into it and I give someone this beautiful talent that's been gifted to me and I can turn around and give that to others. And so I have to be loving enough for myself to say like, no, I need to start charging for my time or my work that I put in, you mm -hmm. know? So I, yeah, absolutely. I love yeah. I mean, I recently, what was it? Probably like six, seven months ago, I've tried to really up my game a little bit on just like, all right, you guys got to go do this. Stop dipping your toe in the water and just jump in. Yeah. And I called a company back after I told them I would do a podcast for them free of charge. And I called them back, you know, and then I ended up getting the money for, for the podcast anyway. It's just funny. Like, you just have to do it. You got to. It's yeah, awesome. I love that you called them back. You know I did. what? I'm like, and <laughs> you have to. Yeah. <laughs> There's a vulnerability in that when you're when you're calling back and you're really being honest and truthful and saying, hey, listen, this is actually something I'm struggling with and I'm working <laughs> on, but I really need to charge money. And, you know, we laugh about it, but there there's a beauty in that. And yeah. it's, it's vulnerability. It's being open. It's being honest. And thank God we get to live our lives that way. Right. Because those connections and those conversations go so much more smoothly when I'm not forcing my way like a bull at a china shop through every interaction or conversation. Like when I'm just honest and I slow down and I'm vulnerable and I'm open, my interactions go so much better. Oh like, my wow. gosh, I know. Yeah, it's 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 funny how that works out that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think it's always still a little bit of butterflies in your stomach before you do it, but that feeling on the other end of it becomes, you become so like used to it and you become to love it so much because yeah. there's something so freeing about it. Even though For at sure. first it's always a little like, oh, should I do this? <laughs> mm -hmm. Those are Those are the moments that I know that I need to do the things. 
when I'm feeling those butterflies, like to me, that's the universe, that's the spirit, whatever that means to you. It's my higher power moving through me and saying, you need to take action, Mm -hmm. do this, stepping out of that comfort zone. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, that is great. So, all right, Chelsea, we are coming up on an hour, which is crazy. What's your, what's your final statement here for people? You know, I always, I always say if you had a few minutes to give somebody who's in a a rut, some advice, what would it be? But I mean, whatever you got, whether it's something from what you're reading now or your last bits of advice. Um, wow. So many things. <laughs> so, so many ways you can go with that. So many ways I could go with that. You know, I, you know, when I really think about leaving people with that, it's kind of a little bit what we were just touching on of getting outside that comfort zone. As humans, we very much live in the comfort zone. And I've come to realize that we just don't grow as much there. You know, sometimes it works for a little while and sometimes it serves a big purpose in our life, but we don't live there. Um, I'm really realizing that life is changing. Life will always change. My emotions will always change. Like they're, the change never stops. It continues to just ebb and flow. And so when I can really adapt to being vulnerable and stepping outside of my comfort zone, you know, so if, so if you are a person that, you know, even wants to, if you're really struggling and you're just wanting to speak up and ask for help, but there's that lump in your throat and your, your heart's about to beat out of its chest. Like to me, that's a signal when I feel that way, that's a signal to speak up and just open my mouth. And it doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out speech. Sometimes it can be just as simple as I'm struggling and I need help. But when we can step outside that comfort zone in any area of our life, when it's, when it's a safe thing, you know, (laughs) I've done that a lot in addiction where it was dangerous, but when I can safely, you know, in a way, step outside that comfort zone in something healthy in my life, like change, that's where change and growth really begins to happen. Um, And it's a work in progress. It's something I struggle with. It's something all humans struggle with, each and every one of us, I'm sure. But when we can just continue to do it over and over again, even with the small things, you know, that's where life really begins to take off and to grow and and to blossom. Um, And I'm finally just realizing that now, you know, I've, you know, been in recovery for, you know, about, about three years. And, you know, these are things that I'm finally starting to realize just now, you know, but I had to get the help first. I had to put down the drink and the drug first. Um, and so now I'm at a point where I can really hone in on what it is that I want and what direction I want to go in life and just keep stepping into the uncomfortability over and over and over again. Beautiful things have come into my path. Beautiful people have come into my path. And I firmly believe that if I just stayed stuck especially in active addiction, like I wouldn't have any of those people or the, or the things that I have today. And I don't necessarily mean material things, um, internal Mm -hmm. spiritual things in my life. So just keep pushing, keep pushing past the comfortability. You know, that's, that's, what's been most important, especially right now. That's wonderful. A wonderful way to go out (laughs) Uh, with this podcast, not out of life, but (laughs) (laughs) we're still here. (laughs) We're still here. We are. Yeah, thanks so thanks um so much for chatting with me, Chels. I appreciate yeah. it. We're on uh we're on um I can call you Chels now because we just had an hour long talk. So right. that, that's my new right. my we're nickname t- that I'm sure nobody's <laughs> ever used to call you before. No. <laughs> awesome. No, well, that. thanks again, and thank you again for coming on and just being willing to talk about whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Not a problem. I need to have more people on that are like in recovery it just it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth yeah so it's good yeah. i'm glad i was glad to have you on it's been too long 
Yeah. So I, I will I will be staying in touch with you. I'll let you know when I'm releasing this and send you links and all that other jazz. And we'll have to do it again for sure. That would be great. I'd be happy. And uh, feel free to reach out anytime. So it's nice seeing you again. I will. And, yep. You too. Later. You're Sean. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded and edited by Room 9. Room 9 is a small business that was created to connect mental health and substance use treatment providers with their clients in a genuine and authentic manner. Through storytelling and branding, we will bring life back into your team, bring life into the people who use your services, and bring life into all the family members and human beings who have been affected by mental health or substance use in one way, shape, or form. To find out more and to talk more about Room 9 getting involved with your company, please visit room9podcast.com or email Sean Cudahy at room9podcast.com. That's S-E-A-N-C-U-D-D-I-H-Y at room9podcast.com. And we would love to talk more. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we will talk to you guys next week.